Apollonio de Giovanni, The Adventures of Ulysses from the mid-15th century. Ulysses, we know the name Ulysses perhaps most famously from, well, what, do we know that name Ulysses? Where do we hear that? The Odyssey, certainly. Yeah, I mean, whenever I think the Odyssey, though, I think Odysseus, right? So Ulysses is uh, a name that I more commonly associate with James Joyce. <laughs> yeah, but maybe that's just me. Odysseus, the eponymous hero of the Odyssey, and this is where we get our word Odyssey from, is a, a long meandering journey, and that was very much the biography of the ancient Greek hero Odysseus, who fought at the Battle of, of Troy, the Trojan War, and is the subject of the epic poem, The Odyssey, by, by Homer, if there ever was a Homer. <laughs> so that's a whole other story there. <laughs> the Odyssey is divided into 24 books. That division happened already in antiquity. Even though the work is um, the, the subject of antiquity, the artist has chosen to contextualize the, the figures and the, their environment in what would be, for them, contemporary. So of the mid-15th century, the dates are 1435 to 1445. So yeah, we do have Tuscan, Florentine, Renaissance era wardrobes, and, and it gives us a little slice of the architectural setting of the 15th century uh, Florentine region. So th this tells us the story, or it represents moments from the story of Homer's Odyssey. How does the artist choose to represent these moments? Are we looking here at a singular action-filled moment of the Odyssey? You're shaking your head. Now, what, what are we looking at here? Certainly, yeah. So it's, it's a whole series of different moments from throughout the Odyssey, the real highlights of the narrative. So different stories all represented together in this unbroken sequence. It looks like a singular narrative composition, but it's this continuous narrative of singular moments. We can see, actually, our hero represented variously wonderful gilded outfit that he has. So they've applied a gold leaf to the surface and then through some sort of uh, stylus they've etched in impressions into the gold leaf and created these concave recessions to give his outfit something of like a, a bejeweled look. So this is a moment in the story where uh, Odysseus crash lands Princess Nausicaa finds him at the, the banks where she had gone to wash clothing with her, her maidservants and then play, play a game of catch. And then they happen upon Odysseus there in the nude. And she gives him some clothing. And then in the story, what happens is she helps Odysseus sneak into the palace and then uh, have an audience with the king. And eventually, he, this is then when he goes back and tells his whole story of his, his journey but here we see it represented a little differently, uh, how Odysseus is being led in with Nausicaa on chariot. That didn't actually happen in this story, but it gives it a wonderful regal presence. This work of art actually certainly, of course, was commissioned by one of the wealthiest Florentine families. Originally, it was from a chest, like a hope chest, essentially, uh, a wedding chest. These chests were commonly commissioned by the wealthy families of the bride and then filled with essentially the, the dowry. 
these chests became featured objects in the bedchamber of the bride and groom. Uh, and so often they're a little more um, worse for wear and scuffed because they were kept at foot level, so they might get a little dinged up. And actually the artist Apollonio do Giovanni was very prolific with these, these chests. For perhaps an audience that was only semi-learned, semi-aware of the, the Odyssey itself, we have the benefit of captions. <laughs> little captions throughout here that tell us who's who. Perhaps easiest is to see up top here, it says Ulysses. <laughs> here we have this grotesque monster who's devouring people. That, that's the Cyclops, and above him we see the name Polyphemus, the name of the Cyclops. And we actually have three representations of Polyphemus there, which shows these three pivotal moments of the story. One where Odysseus and his men get trapped in Polyphemus's lair, and he brains Odysseus's men by smashing them on the rocks and consumes them raw. So it's certainly a very inhospitable host. Uh, but Odysseus tricks Polyphemus to get very drunk on wine, and then he passes out, and then he takes a, a firebrand and skewers his single eye, blinding Polyphemus. And so then Polyphemus lets his sheep out of the, the pen, but Odysseus's men hide underneath the sheep. He's blinded now, but he feels the sheep going out, and he doesn't realize then that Odysseus's men are sneaking out along the way. So and then he goes on additional wild journeys here, uh, encountering the, the beautiful sirens who sing their song that drives men mad. Odysseus's men all plug their ears, but he, he wants to hear this, this bewitching song of the sirens, so he's tied to the mast and driven nearly insane by the song, but he gets to hear it and live. Here we have the god Hermes, the messenger of the gods. You can tell who he is by his little winged boots. Hermes gives Odysseus this divine herb called molly, which allows him to withstand the magical potion that the evil witch queen Circe gives to Odysseus's men, which transforms them into pigs. So we see here's a pig up there, but the artist has also chosen to add in a, a lion of sorts and even a dragon. Long story short, after 20 long years of wander, 10 years fighting the Trojan War, and 10 years to get back home with all these crazy adventures he's gone through, he comes back home in Ithaca, Odysseus the king of Ithaca in Greece. Nobody recognizes Odysseus because the 20 years he's been absent, his entire palace is now overrun with suitors trying to court his wife, the queen Penelope. And we see Penelope here, ever faithful, working on her loom. This is an ultimate example of virtue and faithfulness of the devout wife. It's interesting, the featured subject of this hope chest, essentially. The message that also comes across how, yes, Penelope forever faithful and Odysseus goes on these many adventures and there are periods where for months or years on end even, he has taken up other lovers, Circe and Calypso and others. It's an interesting message to me that says two examples of spousal virtue. The wife, of course, must remain forever faithful. The husband 
uh, has a different sort of you know, f- fidelity. It seems like the message there from ancient Greece and perhaps even from 15th century Tuscany will be like, uh, I might wander, but I'll always come home and let you cook for me. Something like that. I don't know. Yeah. This fun moment here where Odysseus, disguised as the beggar, infiltrates the court of his, his home, his native Ithaca, um, first trying to figure out a way to get all the suitors out of there, so he comes more as a disguise. The dog is actually the first one to recognize Odysseus. There's this, his faithful hound, Argos, who for 20 long years has been sitting on the shores waiting for his master to return. So a 20-some-odd-year-old dog now. And there's actually, I think, what to me is the most beautiful moment of the Odyssey is uh, with this dog here, and I just want to read that to you. As they were talking, a dog that had been lying asleep raised his head and pricked up his ears. This was Argos, whom Odysseus had bred before setting out for Troy. As soon as he saw Odysseus standing there, he dropped his ears and wagged his tail, but could not get close up to his master. And Argos passed into the darkness of death, now that he had seen his master once more after 20 years. I mean, that really pulls at my heartstrings as a dog lover. You know, it's, it's bittersweet, it's sad, but you know, it's like the, the one thing that Argos had been waiting for, uh, he, he got to, to see his master again. Yeah. <laughs>